welcome back to the 72nd Annual Gracie Awards. There's been some surprises tonight, there's been some shocks, but here we are now at some of the big awards. And the next award is for Christian Album of the Year, and the nominations are... I Write Songs That Are Too High For Women by Tim Hughes. <laughs> I'm Still Alive by Michael W. Smith. Eleven of my new songs, but don't worry, it still has Mercy on it by Terry Kelly. And finally, Songs to Cheer the Heart of a Pipe Organ by Hugo Viles. And the winner is... It's Hugo Viles and his Songs to Cheer the Heart of a Pipe Organ. Get up here, Hugo. Get up here now. Come on, Hugo. Thank you. Winning this award gives me so much joy. <laughs> so good to know that my music brings so much mirth and merriment to so many people all across the world. Music, music isn't ours to keep, but ours to give away. Not just here, but all across the globe. My own church is always encouraging me to take my music overseas. <laughs> this award is not just for me, but for everyone back at the Cheerside Chapel, my assistant, Joy Tidings, and the Happy Faces Male Voice Chorale, who sing so loudly and enthusiastically on every track. So much so, you can hardly hear me playing the organ at all. This award is for you as much as it is for me. As soon as I get back for my next church-funded trip, bringing a smile to the Aborigines of the Australian outback, we can all party together. Until then, thank you so much, and um, keep smiling. Hugo Viles. <clears throat> Well, as you know, this evening we have heard from four of the five nominees for the prestigious Amazing Grace Award, the culmination of the Gracie Awards every year. We've heard from them, and now it's time to meet the last of our nominees. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, do put your hands together for Grace Adams. <laughs> So, <laughs> Grace, you've been, uh, you've been nominated for the Amazing Grace Award. You've been put forth by your church. Why do you think that is? Well, it's hard to know, isn't it really, Tom? Tim. I think it might be Tim. because I have attended this church for 27 years. I know. You wouldn't believe it, would you? And what's been a privilege is, if I can just draw attention to this, Tom, I Tim. have been privileged to sit in exactly the same position for 25 of those years. I've never moved. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> right at the front. Yes. Yes. <laughs> amazing. Right. Um, you're involved in the, the worship 
team? Oh, yes, yes, I do have uh, musical gifts, yes. Um, probably you will recognise me from the band. I play second tambourine. I've just got natural rhythm, you know how it is. Some of us have, haven't we? Yes. So, yes, I'm musical, uh, gifted in, in lots of different ways. And, uh, you know, my longevity, I've been here for so long. I've seen seven pastors come and go, and I was happy with one of them. <laughs> so that's not bad at all, is it, in a ratio kind yes. of way? <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you do some work in support uh, of an orphanage in Eastern Europe. Oh, well, that's rather embarrassing because I, I like to give in secret, actually, but now you've drawn attention to it. Um, I gave a gift of £25,000 just last week to that particular and, appeal. And uh, for any of our cousins watching yes. across the pond, uh, that is, in fact, uh, $39,000. For $40,000, actually. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. $40,000, I do apologise. Yes, <laughs> but secret. Yes. Secret. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you're, a, you're an author, I believe, as well, published? Oh, yes, I am a, a successful uh, published author, a little bit more successful than Pastor Jeff, which is rather embarrassing, being here in the same room with him. Um, but he does try. No, no, he does try very hard, actually. Yes, my book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace, which is all about me, it's my autobiography, just little snippets from my life and the sort of amazing things I do. So What's So Amazing About Grace is at the, the bookstall, if you'd like to purchase it at the end of the awards ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Right, now that's all we have time for, oh, for Grace, right. but now it is time to present the award, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for the Amazing Grace Award and the winner for this year's 72nd Annual Gracie Award, Amazing Grace winner, is... It's Alice Jones, who we, we heard from earlier on the phone, and um, she's actually lifted us a, a speech that she'd like to have read out. Actually, actually Grace... Would you, mind, would you mind reading her acceptance speech? What? Just, just in the spirit of the award, I think it would be wonderful. Oh. We'd like to hear her the great... The, the, yes, indeed. You, uh... Right, well, she says she's sorry she can't be here tonight. She's been involved with services at her home church, and she's unable to find anyone to cover her role on the hospitality team. Sounds like she's a little bit disorganized, doesn't it? Um, yes, uh, she says it's a joy to be recognized for the work that she has the privilege of doing uh, and that she tries to do her best to serve people so that they might get to know Jesus. That's sweet, isn't it? Um, she says she hopes she continue to work out her faith with the same gentleness and humility that she recognizes in fellow nominees. <laughs> nice of her to mention me there. She says um, even with this award, she doesn't feel like she does anything special at all. Now, that is true, actually. I can testify to, the, to that. To so she says, thank you thank all, you. and she says, God bless to each and every one of you. Well, we're going to wrap things up here now. Could I say a few thank yous while I'm, while I'm here? Sorry? All right, if I could just thank my husband. Uh, yes, John, thank you so much for all you've done. My two little children, Tamsin and Felicity. We're going to wrap things up. You haven't won. You can't thank people. You have oh, won. Oh, okay. No. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's been another night of surprises here at the Gracie Awards. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to welcoming you back next year. God bless and good night. You might get the impression that all British people are quite mad, really. really. And uh, I hope you're going to be able to be with us um, for this evening. And uh, Searchlight have got a DVD of 15 of their skits. Uh, that's available out at the table uh, as well. That's great. Can we say thank you to them one more time? Because they've done a really nice job.
Well, we are concluding this brief three-week series, Tune Up, Tune Up, and uh, uh, I've called this message this morning, The Sound of Music, The Sound of Music. How many of you know that when I try to be the practical guy around the house, it probably means that a fire truck is going to go show up? You, you, you kind of get that. We had a bit of a problem a couple of weeks ago with a beeping smoke alarm. You ever had that where about every 20 minutes, this piercing beep from the smoke alarm uh, just, uh, just reverberated through the house? And I tried to replace the batteries, but there are none. It's wired into the house. And uh, so uh, my wife, Kay, said, could you fix that? And so I said, yeah, I'm going to just rip the thing off the wall. <laughs> and uh, when I did that, because you thought I was joking, but when I did that, uh, the, the, the alarm went off, the phone rang, it was the alarm people, and uh, uh, I said, it's okay, I just ripped the alarm off. They said, sir, we need your password. And I had decided on a password that nobody would be able to guess. including me. And so I can't think of the password, and, I, and the, the alarm is sounding, and I've got to tell them my mother's maiden name and the city of my birth and my pet's favorite hobbies and all that kind of stuff. And all the time, this horrendous noise. Noise can be an issue. You can be fined $1,000. I know, I did my research. Right here in Fort Collins, uh, you can be fined $1,000 if any time of the day or night you break the noise ordinance codes. That can happen to you. You can sit on a plane, can't you? And I, I've got those noise-canceling headset, one of those things where you can drown out the sound or the, the sound disappears of the droning jet engine. The only thing I've discovered, a little tip there, is... If you have those headphones and the flight attendant asks you if you want coffee, you end up yelling at him or her because you can't hear yourself. This whole issue of noise can be a real problem. In the Bible, we discover that there are moments when God says to his people, would you please turn that noise down? As we're thinking about being tuneful, it isn't just that we need tuned up lives for our sake, but Scripture makes it really clear that there are times when God says, I don't want to hear that. And let's put it more positively, it is possible to live lives which are music in God's ears. I have a confession to make. When someone becomes a Christian, I get excited and I get nervous. If you decide to become a follower of Jesus today, I'm really excited about that, but I'm a little nervous too. I'm excited that you've become a Christian. I'm a little nervous about what kind of Christian you'll be. You see, we mustn't conclude that just the fact that we're Christians is a delight to God because there's a way of doing Christianity that is a noise in his ears. And I know that you that we today want to be a sound of music in God's ears. So let's, let's think about that for a few moments. We're going to look at a few scriptures. First of all, if we're going to be a sound of music, let's put down that symbol. Let's put down that symbol and uh, express faith, faith expressed through love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. They had a noise problem in Corinth. 
There were these mystery cults that operated in Corinth, and the, the streets of the city would resound with the sound of gongs and cymbals. They had this thing called a chalos, which was a, a, a gong made out of copper, and, and a kimbalon, from which we get our word symbol. Uh, and these devotees of these various religions would parade through the streets of Corinth, making this horrendous noise. And so Paul the Apostle borrows that local problem and then applies that to the church because, you see, there was a problem with a lack of melody in the church. Isn't it terrible? It's wonderful. Appreciate our musicians here when music is done well. And isn't it terrible when it's done badly? I know because the night of my baptism, I ridiculously decided to write a song. And you know how ugly that was. It, I sang that song with another guy, and he was in the key of G, and I was in the key of H, and there is no H. It was absolutely excruciating. Corinth, they must have felt like that. Turn that noise down. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church there, to this church that's kind of preoccupied with the gifts of the Spirit, especially with speaking in tongues, and he doesn't invalidate the gifts of the Spirit in any way. In fact, he teaches them about the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me show you the more excellent way, the most important issue. The Greek word is a stone's throw beyond. Beyond spiritual experience, he was saying, there needs to be love. It's been said that intellect was worshipped in Greece and power in Rome, but Paul elevated the excellent surpassing beauty of love. If we want to be seen to be the real deal, and if we want to make music for God, we need to be loving people. Isn't it true that we live in a world so full of fakes? We've got plastic that looks like marble. We've got stone that isn't stone. I found a jacket recently, and it had a label in the back that really confused me. It said it was Genuine imitation leather. <laughs> How do Christians become unloving? Because I've met a few. How do Christians become unloving? Sometimes it's about our tone. They used to have this loud, brash tone, this, this gong in Corinth. I, I meet Christians, and, and instead of speaking to their friends, they rant at their friends. It's about their tone. Sometimes it's about the pitch. I've, I've met Christians, I'm sure I've been one myself at times, where I get on to one issue, and that one issue, biblically, theologically, is all that I want to talk about. That's just a complete preoccupation of mine. Or when somehow we become unloving because we lose sight of people. Have you ever heard a Christian say, well, it's about the principle of the thing? Ignoring people. And I know that when I'm around a loud noise, here is the, here's what I want to do. I want to just get away from it. Is there love in our lives? What's our tone like? Are we seeing people? The second issue is that we, if we're going to make music for God, then don't sound your own trumpet. Don't sound your own trumpet. Faith that leads to humility. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, 
We've had symbols, now we're on to trumpets. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I'm always a bit nervous about talking about humility because some Christians seem to misunderstand that as if you're not supposed to ever encourage someone because they might get conceited. Um, A kind of sniveling humility. I heard of a lady who went up to a pastor and said, that was a really good sermon this morning. And he said, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Look up, look up, look up, it wasn't me. And she smiled and she said, well, actually, it wasn't that good. (laughs) I'm not talking about that kind of pseudo-humility, but I'm talking about this bizarre deal where you want people to see what you're doing in secret, kind of like Gracie. You want to display, we want to display our piety. Some some commentators believe that rich people might have actually employed uh, people to play the trumpet when they gave in the temple. It might have been a reference to the 13 trumpet-shaped objects that were placed at the temple uh, to receive the gifts of the worshippers. The point that Jesus is making is don't do faith in a way that just makes you look good so that others can see it. Now, just stop right there for a moment. Do a little work with me here. That's confusing. That's confusing because in Matthew chapter 5, in the same sermon, Jesus says, you're the light of the world, And uh, he says, uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Hold on a minute. Back there, Jesus, you said, let others see your good deeds. And here you're saying, don't let others see your, your good giving. So what's it to be? Well, the first... The first teaching is about courageously standing up for God so that people might see the way we live and glorify our Father in heaven. And the second teaching is about that arrogant piety where we want to look good. Isn't it true when that happens, uh, what's going on is that we're not worshipping actually, we'd like to be worshipped. And we waste that moment of giving. Jesus said they have their reward. The word there is the same word as used as receipt. They've got a receipt. They've been paid in full. The reality is that that kind of pride and piety is very ugly. But a serving person really actually gets noticed. Yes, pictures of water, restaurant and conference center. Donald, the manager speaking, how may I assist you? (laughs) Yes, I used to run the little fast food place on the bypass. 
with my brother, Mac, yes. Mac and Donald, yeah, that was us, yes, yes. Yeah, we're closed down now. Yes, we were sued. Yeah, no, it's a much bigger place. Right in the center of town, you can't miss us, yes. Pictures of water, restaurant and conference center, yes. Now, are you the person doing the uh, conference next week on the joys of tithing, how we should all do it, no excuses accepted? Yes. You'd like to book lunch for all the delegates. A table for two, right, thank you. Yeah. Oh, you've had a cancellation. I'm sure we can fit you in. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Soon after that, that all the excitement began. This chap rang up. I didn't know who he was at first, but it turned out he was quite famous. He was in all the newspapers later. Been very good for publicity for this place, I can tell you. But, like I say, I wasn't sure who he was, but the whole thing started with this phone call. <coughs> Told you. <coughs> Got it. Hello. Pictures of water, restaurant and conference centre. Donald, the manager speaking. How may I assist you? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, you'd like to book a table? Well, yes, we could see what we can do. How many is it for? Ooh, well, good booking. It's a busy time of year, though, sir. It's Passover, don't you know? You do know, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're busy. Literally no room at the inn, as they say. <laughs> You've done that story already, I see. Uh, well, how many is it for? Oh, table for 13. Well, very good, yes. I'll tell you what I could do. I could open up the upper room, yes. Plenty of room up in the attic. Been meaning to do it for months. Yeah, we'll do that for you. Now, is it the set Passover meal you require? Yes. Lovely. Are you wanting water or wine? It's all the same to you. <laughs> I see, yes. All right. Table for 13. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. It wasn't clear who was in charge when they all arrived. The chap who made the phone call came up to me and he said, Listen, Donald, don't bother about your, your staff, your waiters tonight. Put the food and the water and the wine outside the door upstairs. I want to serve my friends, myself, he said. I want to serve them myself. Bit odd for the man in charge, I thought, but we did. Left the food. I checked once or twice, and there he was, serving his friends. I asked him at the end, I said, it's a bit odd for you, isn't it? The man in charge. One day, Donald, he said, the least amongst us will take the highest position. The least amongst us will take the highest position. I didn't quite know what he meant, but anyway, I gave him my business card. I said, hey, take this. I hope this will help you to remember me and this place. And he said, Donald, don't you worry about that. People will remember this place for years to come. And then he gave me a piece of bread and a glass of wine. And he said, Donald, I hope this will help you remember me. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And the word in the Greek there means to be a waiter at tables. 
And the truth is, it's not the trumpet players that really turn hearts to God. It's the people who quietly serve, often without being noticed or acknowledged. I think that that gives me the opportunity to to take a moment here and say on behalf of the pastoral team here, there are so many hundreds and hundreds of people here at Timberline who week after week, behind the scenes, never standing on a platform, quietly helping us Uh, when we come into the parking lot and helping us through our frustration when that parking space that Jesus gave us 10 years ago is not available to us. So many people quietly behind the scenes serving and not being noticed. I wonder if we could put our hands together and just express our appreciation (laughs) to quiet servants. Thank you for giving in secret and serving so quietly. Well, the third and the final thing that I want us to look at this morning, this third point, hang up that harp. Hang up that harp. Faith that prioritizes justice. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 21, God says through his prophet, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I've got another confession to make. You know, I, one of the reasons I, I love being part of Timberline, our worship team do such a great job. But can I just be honest with you and ask you a question? Have you ever been in a Christian gathering where the worship, the sung worship, has gone on so long and you've sung the same song so many times, you are starting to lose the will to live. And everybody else looks like they're really enjoying it, and you're privately fantasizing about assassinating the worship leader. You think, this is just horrendous. And then, just when you are at the point of greatest despair, the worship leader says, do you know, heaven's going to be just like this. (laughs) Only longer. And you say, I wish this music could just stop. It's interesting that in Amos' time, God spoke to his people and said, will you stop the music? And he uses very strong wording. He says, I hate, God says, I hate, I despise, I cannot stand, I will not accept, I will have no regard, I will not listen. I think God's making it pretty clear. Quit the singing. Now, what's going on here? Amos portrays a God who is angry like a roaring lion because his people are singing songs, but they have no regard for the poor in their community. They don't care about injustice. Let's just sing another song and be happy. And God says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness righteousness like a never-failing stream. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is a word that describes pathways that are straight and weights and measures that are correct. You see, God is a God of justice. And I think it's really important for us to affirm that if God is going to hear our worship, he is looking for a people who do not just believe in charitable giving, although that's important but a people who are concerned about kingdom justice in the world. Social justice. And the problem with the term social justice is the fact is it's been politicized. 
We hear the word social justice and we think immediately about party politics. We need to take the word out of party politics and realize that social justice is on the heart of God. Yes, we give, but we also want to see oppressive injustice come to an end. Right now, on the Ivory Coast, half the beans are grown, the cocoa beans. Half the world supply of cocoa beans that make our candy bars is grown on the Ivory Coast. And right now, this morning, there are 12,000 child slaves in the fields picking beans. That is unjust. And sometimes when the church speaks out about these macro problems, people say, oh, no, no, you're getting political, you're getting political. No, it's not about party politics, but the church must speak into issues of injustice because God is a just God. Another problem with the word justice is in the translation. When the word righteousness was translated into the Latin translation of the Bible, the word justitia, justice, was used, and that word speaks more about individual rights, entitlements, rather than the well-being of a community together. And as we think about this, and I know this is, this is difficult stuff to, to, to think through, and as we look at the You Count campaign next week, we've got to know this is not just about us doing nice things for people in need, but this is about us reflecting the passion and the heart of God who wants us to sing our songs, but wants us to back up our singing with a care for the world. In fact, in James 1, 27, listen to these words. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this is, this is difficult. I've been, been praying about this in my own life this week. This, this affects my priorities and what I buy and what I give and how I think and how I add my voice speaking up. And it's not easy. It's not an easy fix at the end of a, a morning service in Timberline. But God wants us to wrestle with these issues so that we put away the harp of just singing and sing with a heart that cries out against injustice. I'm moved, as I conclude, by Brennan Manning's words in his book, beautiful book, The Signature of Jesus. He says this, he says, A handful of us could be ignored by society, but hundreds, thousands, millions of servants would overwhelm the world. Christians filled with the authenticity, commitment, and generosity of Jesus would be the most spectacular sign in the history of the human race. The call of Jesus is revolutionary. If we implemented it, we would change the world in a few months. Tune up. Tune up. Putting away that symbol, that clashing symbol. Are we thinking right now about relationships where love has become a casualty? Has our tone become strident? Have our lives become a cacophony? Turn that down. 
put down the symbol. Don't sound the trumpet. Thank you to so many who both inside the church and beyond it serve quietly, unnoticed. Know that God knows. Hang up that harp. Wrestling with big issues in our world and asking God to give us his heart that cries out against injustice. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you because it is possible for us to live lives that are music to your ears. We bring ourselves to you today. We pray that love might be the dominant sound that comes from our lives. I don't think when we meet you, Jesus, that you're ever going to say to us, I'm sorry, you were just too loving in that situation. Show us the power of kindness. We quietly reflect and we bring relationships to you where love has departed. Help us in our tone. Save us from becoming monotone and becoming preoccupied and obsessed and single-issue Christians. Help us in our service, Lord. Help us to serve you when no one pats us on the back. Help us to serve you when no one notices. We pray for the hundreds, maybe thousands, who quietly serve as part of the Timberline family, who serve us. Would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? Would you let them know that their service is musical to you? And then, Lord, we pray about this issue of justice. And it's difficult because we look out on our world and we see so much pain and so many challenges. We pray that you will help us to wrestle with that which matters so much to you. Thank you for moments of charity. But help us too, not only to give, but also to pray and act and speak against the injustices that break your heart. We pray for children who right now are being trafficked. We pray for governments that are allowing this to happen. We pray for evil men and women who are oppressing. We pray about corporations that are making unjust, oppressive business decisions. And we pray for ourselves. And we ask you to help us by grace to become agents of kingdom justice. I want to just leave a moment for us to whisper I want to whisper my prayers quietly to God in response to this message. Why don't you do the same? The call of Jesus is revolutionary. If we implemented it, we would change the world.
in a few months. Show us what that means. In our lives, we pray, even this week. We agree together and we give you thanks. The God who cares, the God who loves, the God who notices. And in Jesus' name, we agree together. And everyone said, 